You know, Plato wanted to kick the poets out of the Republic because we moved people's emotions um, and, and distracted them from logic. Um, I wonder how Plato would regard the state of our mass media right now. Perhaps the poets might have been allowed to stay because I don't know that we're the ones who are who are creating that that many problems. Maybe if more <laughs> people read us, that would, that we would create some problems. Yeah, I wouldn't say you're um, a menace to society quite yet, but we'll see how things turn out. <laughs> I'm your host, Logan, and this is Social Distances, a podcast where we examine the distances that both separate us and bring us together during the complex and compounded crises of 2020 and beyond. Today, we're talking with Dave Lucas, the second Poet Laureate of Ohio and current lecturer at Case Western Reserve University, about writing during times of crisis and isolation. Throughout history, some of the most monumental and treasured pieces of literature have emerged from moments of collective tragedy. From warfare to famine, to plagues to economic downturns, human society is shaped and changed each time. But we also process and record these changes in new ways. I think that the, the change was not quite immediate, but so close to immediate and so profound um, that like any major change of the sort, it's going to be hard for us to remember what it was like before, perhaps until we get back to some version or, or, or forward to another version of um, what life will be. Today, while we might not yet know exactly what kind of literature will come out of this period of global crisis, a pandemic, social and racial reckonings, environmental thresholds being breached, more people are reading and writing. 2020 was the best-selling year for print books in the U.S. since 2010. Well, the pandemic has not hurt the sale of books. In fact, sales for the first three quarters of the year were up more than 6% compared to last year. London publisher Everyman, which specializes in reprints of classic titles, saw sales go up in July of 2020 by 31%. The most popular title that was read in the U.K., Penguin Random House reports that sales of War and Peace, a hefty tome of 1,440 pages, boomed by 69%. Of course, people may have just had more time to kill or wanted to pick up that book they'd always meant to read but never got around to it. But maybe there's a bit more to it. And I think part of that is, is that... Um as is obvious, we cannot, for the most part, be with one another physically. Um, and so we have turned to those to those other ways, that those mediated ways of trying to um, have, have connections with people. Um, and that is something that art supplies, whether you're the, you know, the lonely teenager that I was finding a version of yourself, um, a better, a better version of yourself or a better version of a better friend in a book, um, or if you're trapped inside for six months. So many of us have turned to the arts um, as a way of um, maintaining some sense of well-being, um, whether that's the escapist quality of the, a story or the consoling quality, you know, the wisdom. Um, I, you know, I know people who were reading Boccaccio at the at, at the beginning of the pandemic because there was there was almost a. Um, the consoling sense that people have lived through, the cultures have lived through um, pandemics of the sort before, plagues of the sort before. 
Besides turning to fiction, more people are also themselves writing in attempts to understand and grapple with this year. New York-based Peter Popper Press shares that its sales of journals and notebooks were up 37.5% in 2020. I want to talk about how we understand recording life in this moment. In some ways, the arts or the humanities are also a way of recording life or understanding records of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether that's uh, perhaps journaling, keeping a diary, you know, uh, correspondence. We know that a lot of historical record um, literature and otherwise comes from those sources. I'm curious, do you journal? Mostly no. And I say mostly because I have tried at various points over the years um, to keep a journal. And I, I, I want to come back to that verb that we use when we talk about about journaling. I mean, there's the, there's the, the dailiness that is, that is there in, in, in the word, you know, journal, the, the, the work of the day. Um, but also that sense of keeping there. And I think that that is one element where poetry and journaling have, have some overlap, but, um, I've kept a journal at various points in my life and I have found it valuable to come back to that. But I also find that when I'm reading it, I, I feel like I'm reading the words of someone who thought he was on stage. Um, and I don't know who I thought I was on stage for, but the poems on the other hand are a different kind of record, um, in part because they're less a record of what, what I did that day and more a record of what it felt like to be there, which is, I think one reason that, that in thinking about, um, history and literature and these different ways in which we try to keep the past as present, um, literature plays a role because literature tells us something about what it felt like to be wherever and whomever at, at a particular time. Um, it's one of the it's one of the reasons that literature, I hope, provides us the access to try to understand what it was like to be someone other than ourselves. Um, but in, I think implicit in both the impulse to write poems and the impulse to write a journal. Um, and it sounds strange to write a, to say write a journal because we say write poems, but we say keep a journal or keep mm. a diary. And it's that verb keep that I think is so interesting because it is an attempt to try to hold on to something that is passing and evanescent and 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 you know like water in our hands. Um, we say keep because you, you do it every day, but we also say keep because it's something that we're trying to uh, not lose. Mm. Um, and I think that that impulse, I totally understand it in this past year where so much has been lost and trying to hang on to um, the sense that we are living through uh, some moment in history that someone in the future might be interested in, whether it's you know our version of, of, of Boccaccio or, or, or Defoe or something like that. There has also been a spike in book proposals and literary submissions. Independent Irish publisher Tramp Press now receives twice as many submissions as they did pre-pandemic and other book publishers report the same, particularly from new writers. And poetry seems to have found a renaissance amidst recent crises. Besides Amanda Gorman's reading at the inaugural address at the start of 2021, which led to an explosive rise of 250% in visits to the Academy of American Poets website, poets.org, there's also been a quiet, but powerful resurgence in the art form's presence in the public consciousness. The same website tracked a 25% increase in traffic from March of 2020 to the end of January, 2021. Now, forgive me for asking perhaps a slightly overly simplistic question here, but paint me a picture of what it's like to be a poet in the pandemic. 
Well, with regard to, to, to being a poet or um, let's put it this way, being a poet often involves going around in public, acknowledging the shameful fact that you are a poet and then, <laughs> and then imagining that one day perhaps you will write poems again. But in the meantime, you're at this reading and you're, and you're having a beer with your friends and, and, and so on. That's the sort of being a poet element. And I don't really believe there's any such thing as, as being a poet. There's a poet <laughs> that, that is involved there. But the actual uh, writing of poetry is, is pretty similar in the pandemic than it was otherwise, because I think the ultimate challenge and privilege of the work is that is that you end up being a single person in a room trying to do that work. Um, and I suppose we could say that one way in which it's been different is that the solitude required to write has been also required in other elements of our lives. Um, and that's been that's been a difficult thing to negotiate. But as far as the the person and the page, that stays pretty consistent. Um, the only difference I could say is that, you know, if I, if I were to decide in, in the before times that I was going to, um, go sit at a coffee shop for a while and try to write, but more or less then what I would do is sit at a coffee shop and have a cup of coffee and people watch and not get anything written anyway. <laughs> um, so in that regard, uh, it's, it's just a matter of where I'm not getting anything written. That, that is the difference between being a poet then and being a poet now. Plenty of great writers wrote in quarantine. Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a plague. Isolating during a cholera epidemic led Mary Shelley to write Frankenstein. And cholera also later inspired Camus' The Plague. But while poetry and literature at large may be an act of solitude, inspiration for it and discussion of it certainly aren't. As someone who's, who tries to write poems, one thing that's been taken away, I think, is, is for me, is, is the sense of the overheard. Um, and I find that so many poems um, that I manage to write, I say so many, like there's a lot of them, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's most of the time. The, some of the poems that I manage to write um, often begin with something that I overhear someone else saying. Um, and it might not be the exact thing that, that they said, but often it's a phrase that um, I've heard a hundred times before, but all of a sudden this time it, it, has, it has a little bit of, of, of magic in it. Um, and it's, I would, I would defer to the Potter Stewart line that you, you know it when you hear it there. Um, but there's been less of that um, because most of the conversations that we've been having with each other are scheduled. Um, we don't run into each other in the same way. You, we, we schedule this Zoom talk and then um, we're staring at each other and it's all very sort of uh, artificial in that way. And it is as good as we can get given the circumstances. Um, but there's also something there's also something there that is that is out of step with um, the past everydayness of life, the past quotidiana of life that I think is also so often the basis for poetry. I think of a poet like Frank O'Hara, um, who's writing poems on his lunch break uh, from from the Museum of Modern Art, um, going for walks, uh, listening to the sounds of the city. Um, you know, what would how would O'Hara have have documented uh, this this time? I mean, so much of the joy of those poems is in the random and unexpected encounter. But that doesn't mean we didn't connect in other ways. Where I feel that we were impoverished in some ways for not being among each other, we were enriched in others because um, the separation forced other kinds of other kinds of conversation. Indeed, lockdowns around the world have led to new connections and intellectual forums 
via the creation of digital reading clubs, Facebook pages, Instagram live events that managed to restore a sense of solidarity and progression in people's quarantine lives with, of course, scheduled Zoom meetings and reading assignments. And in the world of poetry, editors jumped at the chance to gather verse from these times of isolation and turbulent change, putting together collections of pandemic poetry. Among them was Together in a Sudden Strangeness, an anthology released in November of 2020. But I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be part of this anthology edited by Alice Quinn, who was the longtime poetry editor at The New Yorker. Um, this contains some of the poems, uh, I mentioned Rick Barrett before, um, some of the, that work is in here as well, but the variety of experience um, from the pandemic, from quarantine, from different stages, um, I wouldn't say it's all contained here, but this is this is a, a useful slice of life from, from that time. And I'll read my poem, which is also called Quarantine and is sort of an attempt to imagine um, being separated from, from loved ones um, in, in, in this time. You could not come to me, so instead I set out for you these lines. Because the lungs and breath and tongue had all come under doubt, I wrote it down. I was always braver on the page, in the quick reflexive taps of fingertips that make my name. There the word love could never catch in my throat. I'd sign it to almost anything I wrote. But I had wanted to tell you about the world, what I can tell of it, how beyond the pale of the page the earth goes on, how even now spring begins to fuss the crocus, miraculous each March in its Easter dress. I can almost see you see it there, just outside the window where the mail still arrives to tell its news. What news but this? The same old ache to be born and then reborn, since once is never enough. To touch just once or once more what has been kept from us, which must be everything we ever wanted. You cannot come to me, I cannot go to you, until another season or in some other life, I come to find your hand has found mine in that field where our blood blossoms just as the crocus opens and each leaf trembles in a wind so kind it recalls the slow, full breaths of sleep. Amidst so much uncertainty, the way toward writing can seem somewhat random, haphazard, but also beautiful. Because perhaps it's not the subject of quarantine itself, but rather the ways, the other things around it, the unexpected curveballs it throws at us that make something meaningful out of where we find ourselves today. I had resisted writing poems that were speaking exactly uh, to the moment because I often feel that trying to come at the thing head on is is the worst. I tell my students that that um, poetry is like bowling in the sense that if you throw the ball directly at at, at the head pin, um, you're going to get a split. You got to come at it just just from the side. Um, then I realize how few of them have gone bowling recently, and I, I understand that I got to come up with a different metaphor. It does remind me of uh, something you said right before the pandemic began. And I know that as um, Ohio's Poet Laureate, you had been engaged with a column that you were producing. Um, if Correct me if I'm wrong, it was 
poetry for people who hate poetry. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I did One appreciate very much. Suggested it could be called just poetry for people, but um, <laughs> good to have a good friend. I did appreciate, you know, the, one of the very, uh, last things that we read in 2019 from you, you wrote, <clears throat> I want to convince you that when you need poetry, it will be waiting to be read and heard anew, which I think is very fitting also to the poem that you just read. And I'm curious if you have thoughts on this, uh, more than a year later. I wrote those lines, um, as a sort of coda to a story about finding how, how Hamlet mattered to mm. me. I read Hamlet in high school, like a lot of other high school students do. And I watched the Kenneth Branagh version of the play for nine or 10 hours in my AP English class, however long it went on. And you know, I, I, I took from it as much as perhaps a teenager could. But for me, the play didn't come home until my own father died when I was 28 years old. Um, and then it was, it was a work of art that I turned to for the things that we've talked about before, consolation, wisdom, the sense of continuity, even in that kind of grief. And then it was an entirely different play. Um, it was no longer for me um, something to study and answer a multiple choice question about what is Hamlet's tone in this, in this soliloquy. Um, it wasn't something just to scan out and understand where Shakespeare was was making um, a deliberate choice in, in the way that he varied his meter. It was a way of, of feeling comforted in the darkness of grief. Um, and ultimately, that's what we're after, I think. Comforted in the darkness of grief, um, a joy that we share, fleeting as it may be, with someone else, whether that person is in the room with us or lived 500 years ago. Um, and I think that's it. The sense, the sense of, of being understood. Um, so often we talk about trying to understand poems, but I think there's something wonderful that happens, which is, which is not that we understand them, but that we encounter the the experience of feeling understood by something someone said years and years and, and centuries ago. Sometimes the poem or the work of art that seems to get closest to what we're feeling in the moment is a poem written about an entirely different moment. And that's one of the funny things about literature that sometimes um, it's not that the, the, that the great literature records how we're feeling right now, but that the great literature records how someone sometime in the future will feel. Um, and that's, that's something um, for us too. And I don't dare imagine that kind of life uh, for my own poems. Um, but one wouldn't write poems in the first place if we didn't hope for that sort of thing. Um, not because there's some sort of immortality in it, um, but because we are grateful for what we've read and what has spoken to us. And um, the best I think we can do as writers is to try and offer that so that it's waiting for someone somewhere else um, some other time, if and when they need it. I'm your host, Logan, and this is Social Distances where each week we look at a different cross-section of society that has been impacted by the crisis and unpack topics ranging from the environment, earth and death, shelter, media, race relations, and more through insights from historians, anthropologists, policymakers, and other researchers. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And check out the video edition on social media under at MidStory or at www.midstory.org. This program is made possible in part by Ohio Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Social Distances is produced by MidStory, edited by Samuel Chang, written by Ruth Chang and Logan Sander, with original music by Dream Louder, and graphics by Jesse Walton.